Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, good morning, y'all. It is good to see you. My name is Nick Jankowski. I'm the associate pastor here at Mosaic Church, and we are so excited that you've come out on this very blustery and cold morning to uh, join us and see that incredible living nativity. The good news is, is that I can't live up to what just happened, so set your expectations low for what's about to happen up here after seeing little kids in the sheep outfits and the shepherds uh, in the field. Uh, we are right now, if this is your first time joining us um, here at Mosaic, or if you haven't been in a couple weeks, we are in the process of wrapping up our December series, which has been called Christmas Wishlist. And in this series, we've been exploring this idea that as kids, we would oftentimes make a wish list of the items that we wanted most for Christmas. Maybe it was a toy, a doll, a game, whatever it was, we would submit those wish lists to our parents and let the whole world know that this is what we want for Christmas. However, as we get older as adults, we said that that wish list tends to shift in terms of the contents that is on there. It moves from something that is focused on toys and trinkets to things that have uh, more uh, value, that are uh, less tangible, things that maybe even are eternal in a sense. And we've said that as Christ followers, there are very specific things that we can ask for on our Christmas wish list. And Jason's done a great job over these last few weeks. He talked about two weeks ago that part of our wish list as Christ followers can be a leader in Jesus who loves and cares for us. And last week he talked about this idea that also on our wish list can be the hope of everlasting life. And so we're going to conclude our series today by adding one more item to our Christmas wish list. And that item is a love that matters. But before we do, I want to invite you to pause and pray with me as we invite the Spirit of God to speak to us this morning. And so, Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity once again to gather as your family. Lord, we carry with us so many different things in this holiday season. Some of us bring hope and joy. Other of us bring sadness and loss, perhaps even anxiety and fear. And so, Lord, for all the assembled body here this morning, God, wherever they find themselves in this journey of the holiday season, Father, we ask that we could lay that down for just a moment, that your Spirit would speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit and through the power of your Word. May we leave here different than when we first arrived. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. So let me ask you a question. Um, Have you ever got a Christmas present? that was so beautifully packaged at Christmas time that you could not wait to tear into that thing to find out what was inside. That though once you actually tore it open, the contents disappointed you. The contents inside left you wanting more. And perhaps it was because there was some anticipation that had built in your heart with weeks of giving hints about the perfect gift that you just had to have. And it turned out to be something other than what you wished for. 
Or maybe it was just because whoever gave you the gift was a lousy gift giver. But whatever the reason is, I think every one of us here this morning could probably say that we've unwrapped disappointment on Christmas Day at one point or another. And like many of you, I can too say that I've found discontentment under the Christmas tree. In fact, as I was thinking about it this week, I was reminded of one of my most memorable stories of Christmas disappointment that happened when I, ki- when I was a kid, and it actually centered on a giant plastic dinosaur. And so let me just share with you a little bit about what I'm talking about here. When I was a little kid, like elementary age school, I was a big fan of Godzilla. Now, I was a weird kid growing up, and so I fully admit that, like, if you're like, that's strange, I get it, I was. While other kids were playing sports, I was busy watching, like, Godzilla movies from the 1950s and 60s in all their, like, rubber-suited glory. It was strange. But nonetheless, on this particular Christmas, I had my heart and my desire set on receiving a Godzilla action figure. And so I went about the business, much like Ralphie in A Christmas Story, in trying to get the Red White Rider BB gun. I would subtly suggest and hint to my parents, and then not so subtly suggest and hint to my parents, that the number one thing on my wish list that year was this Godzilla action figure. And so Christmas morning comes. And you can imagine the excitement that began to bubble up inside me, the anticipation of what might lie under the tree. And that anticipation and excitement almost burst into incredible jubilation as I tore into one of my presents and I opened it up and I saw what looked or appeared to be the scaly green face of Godzilla staring back at me. And yet, the excitement dissolved and faded into waves of disappointment as I tore open the rest of the box and I realized that it was not actually Godzilla inside the box, but it was actually just a knockoff plastic dinosaur that only kind of resembled the big G, at least as far as he was green and he was a lizard. It was disappointing. And now if you're sitting there thinking, man, this dude's like, he's kind of knocking on his parents. Mom and dad, if you're watching, I want to give you props today because this was before the advent of the internet, okay? There was not Amazon that they could go order a Godzilla action figure. And to the best of my knowledge, at that time in the 80s in Billings, Montana, there was no such thing as a Godzilla action figure that was even on the shelves. So the fact that they found anything that was even remotely close to what Godzilla was it just demonstrated a sheer will and determinant to bring love to their son. And I can see that now as an adult. But as a kid, I couldn't see that. I had my heart set on this action figure, and I was undeniably disappointed when I opened it. Primarily because it wasn't the real thing. It was an imposter or a knockoff of what I had really asked for. And the truth is, guys, that this morning, giant plastic green dinosaurs are not the only gifts that I've received on Christmas that have let me wanting more in my life. As I've gotten older and grown in my years, there's also been a similar disappointment that I've experienced in my faith journey, especially as it relates to the issue of Christian love. And you say, Pastor Nick, what do you mean? What are you you talking about, Christian love? 
Because Christian love is something that, as a believer and follower of Christ, it's something that ranks highly on my wish list every year. It's something that I both desire to receive from others, and it's something that I desire to give away to the world. And why shouldn't I? When we think of Christian love, we envision a love that embodies the purest and the noblest forms of love. When we think of Christian love, we think of a love that, that both loves our neighbor and our enemy equally. When we envision Christian love, we think of a love that swings low to wrap its arms around and embrace the marginalized and the poor and the people who exist in the fringes of our society. When we think of Christian love, we think of a love that always protects, always is patient, is always kind, and is always gentle. Christian love is a world-shaking, a devil-beating, life-transforming kind of love. However, all too often when the gift of Christian love is given to me, or perhaps even when I give the gift of Christian love to others, I unwrap it only to find a goofy-looking dinosaur staring back at me instead of the Godzilla toy that I expected. And so in other words, what often masquerades as Christian love today feels like a hollow imposter, a a fake of what the real thing should actually be. And it stirs a discontentment, a disappointment deep within my soul. And I think if I was honest with you guys this morning about some of my experiences with Christian love, I could tell you sincerely that some of the ugliest things that have been said to me have been said in Christian love. Some of the most heartbreaking experiences that I've ever had have been done in the name of Christian love. Unless you think I'm only pointing the fingers at others, I can tell you this morning that I'm just as guilty of that as well. And so sometimes I struggle with this notion or this idea, this discussion, this talk of Christian love and then actually see that it lacks the true fidelity in its tangible expression. And I have to imagine that I'm probably the only one here this morning who struggles with that, right? Like there's nobody here today that's ever experienced disappointment because of Christian love in your life. Of course not. Of course not. Any one of us who has ever journeyed in the church for any amount of time could probably get up here with me this morning and tell stories of heartbreak, of hurt, of ways that you felt burned. Or maybe you could get up here this morning and share similar stories about how you carry guilt and shame about some of the ways that you've shared Christian love with other brothers and sisters in the church. We all have those stories. And so the question this morning for us to wrestle with is that are the ideals of Christian love something that we can actually ever ascertain? Is it something that we can even inspire to as Christ followers? And if so, how in the heck do we actually do it? How do we stop offering knockoff versions of God's love and start offering the world what the real thing is? The good news is for us this morning, church, is that God is not a fan of knockoff versions of his love either. In fact, in the book of 1 John, he gives some instructions to how we can live a life of love that matters in the everyday stuff of life. 
And so if you have your Bibles with you or you have your Bible apps, I want to invite you to turn to the book of 1 John. And together we're going to explore what God has to say about this final wish list item that we've put on our list this year. And so as you turn there, let me give you briefly some background on what's happening in the book of 1 John at this time. The book of 1 John was written by the Apostle John to the early church, the first century church in ancient Ephesus. And this church was actually being torn apart from the inside out by knockoff Christian love. There were people within the church at that time who were denying the Messiahship of Jesus. They were saying that Jesus was just a man. He was not the Messiah. And what's more is they were actually actively seeking to pursue hostility towards those who were holding on to the faith of Jesus as their Messiah. And all of this was being done in the name of God. And so John pens this letter to the churches in ancient Ephesus primarily because he's trying to do damage control, but also because he wants to encourage and exhort those believers who are still clinging to their faith. And based on the writings in 1 John, we can ascertain or assume that the believers in ancient Ephesus, and understandably so, were wrestling with their faith They were questioning and wavering between what is real, who is really a Christian, is my faith even real? And so in John, 1 John chapter 4, he he begins to list out the evidences of a belief in Christ as a means to reassure their wavering faith. And in doing so, John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes one of the greatest theological exposition on the doctrine of love found out through the entirety of of Scripture. And so let's see what it is that John has to say about Christian love. And so we're going to begin in verse 7. And we'll start with 7 and 8. And John says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. John is making a shocking statement here. A statement that perhaps, if you're like me, shook me to the core this week as I read it. John is saying that not only should Christian love be evident in the life of those who profess to follow Jesus, but that Christian love is actually evidence of a faith in Christ. And then conversely, he flips that And he says, anyone who does not love others doesn't know God. They don't know the Father. And so obviously this idea of love much hinges on the definition of love that John is talking about here. What kind of love is John referring to? Is he talking about a love that we know in our day and age, or is it something different? And so in our current cultural context, we might say that love is often very fluid, Can we agree upon that? That love is one of those things that is oftentimes defined by the individual. It's not something that is built in the collective of the community or even on tradition. It's something that oftentimes the individual defines for themselves. In our current cultural context, love is often based on what I feel and what my emotions are. What makes me happy in the moment is that which I love. In our current cultural context, 
love is often portrayed as wholesale affirmation and acceptance of another person's belief or behaviors if it makes them feel happy. Or in our current cultural context, we live in a world that just seeks to avoid rigid definitions of love by using very wide and very sweeping generalities about what love is. Love is love. Which is silly on its face if you ever stop to think about that statement for just a second. (laughs) Because I can say to you this morning, I love tacos, which I do. Tacos are fantastic. But I can also say that I love my wife. And clearly, all love is not love. Or at the very least, there are varying degrees of love. Or there better be, because I'm sleeping on the couch if there's not. And so clearly, John is speaking about a different kind of love. It's not a worldly love that John is referencing here. It's not a human love that John is talking about. He's, he's diving at something that is deeper, something more divine in the moment. And this word that John uses for love in the text is the Greek word agape. Say that with me, agape. You can speak Greek. Good job, guys. And so agape is a love that has a very specific, it's a biblical kind of love that has a very specific definition. And the best way to understand agape is that it is a willful and sacrificial love that intentionally desires the benefit of the object loved. It's a willful and sacrificial love that seeks out and desires the benefit of the object that is being loved. And it's this kind of agape love, this love that matters, this divine love that John is talking about, that is precisely the kind of love that John says is the hallmark of one who professes faith in Jesus. And so the question that I had to wrestle with this week, and so I'm going to pose it to you to wrestle with as well, is that if somebody were to examine your life, if somebody were to look at the way you love, what would they say? what would they say? Would they say that your love is defined by selflessness or selfishness? Would they say that your love is defined by putting the needs of others first, or is it that you constantly seek to put your own good above others? And that can say a lot about where we stand relationally in our intimacy with the Father. And so we come back to this question. John is making this point that this is evidence of faith in Christ. And so how is it then that this love, this agape love that John is talking about, is evidence of a relationship with Jesus? And the first clue that John gives to us is found in John 4, 7 through 8. And he says that God is love. Let's read that again. He says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And John says that God is the primary source and inspiration of all love, but specifically divine love in the created universe. That love is not merely an attribute of God, but that it is very core. It is his nature and his being. It always has been from the very dawn of human uh, civilization to the very end of civilization. God will always and always has been love. And this has huge implications for us today in our culture. 
huge implications for us in our culture because we live in a world that labors under the belief that love is a social construct. That love is something that originated with mankind and therefore as human beings, because love is our creation, we have the ability to mold and shape it to be what we want it to be. I don't think we have to look very far in our culture to see different evidences of that out there in the world. But for this talk today, let me give you an example. I think we have to look no further than the institution of marriage. The institution of marriage where love has been radically redefined. Because we falsely believe that love is a social construct, and much like love, marriage too is a social construct that can be redefined and sculpted and made into our image. And the problem is, is that biblically speaking, love and the institution of marriage did not originate with man. It did not start with us. It was not our idea. We give ourselves way too much credit in that moment. Love is the source, finds its source in God, and the institution of marriage was originated by God. And you can go all the way back to the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2, and you see that God originated and designed the institution of marriage to be between one man and one woman. One man and one woman, period. And now I know as I say that this morning, that there can be two sides in the room. There can be those who would say amen, and there can be those who are sitting here this morning who say, I am deeply offended by what you say, Pastor Nick. And so before I move off this subject, let me be very clear about what I'm talking about. If you are in this room, or if you ever come to Mosaic and you're a person who perhaps is living openly in a gay lifestyle, let me tell you this, Jesus loves you, and you are welcome into his family. If you are somebody who is wrestling with same-sex attraction, Jesus loves you and you are welcome into his family. If you are somebody who is struggling with gender dysmorphia, Jesus loves you and you are welcome in his family. And you say, Pastor Nick, how can you say that this morning? How is it that you can get up here and preach that message? Because Jesus loved me, a wretch of a man a broken man, and welcomed me into his family. And if Jesus can welcome me into his family, he can welcome anyone else as well. And who am I to say who is not allowed and who is in God's family? And so here's the truth, guys. When it comes to God's love and this issue of redefining love within marriage or just love itself, as the created, loved as we are, we can't get twisted this idea of what love is. Culture says that love accepts and affirms, right? Whatever makes you happy. But God's love says, I want what's best for you, even if it doesn't make you happy or it's hard in the moment. And so God says, I love you. And as the created beings, as created beings and loved as we are, we do not have the privilege or the right to dictate to God that which he has ordained. And that is true of whether it is the meaning of love or whether it is the meaning of marriage. And so God alone is the source of all love, and God alone has the authority to define what love is. 
And so we come back again to our original question then. If God is the source of all love, how is it then that that is evidence of faith in the believer? It's this, is that if God is the source of all love, God the Father is where love originates, then we who profess faith in Christ, as Scripture says, are adopted into God's family as His children we should bear resemblance, at least a little family resemblance to our Heavenly Father. And the problem is, oftentimes, is that there's too many Christians that are walking around out there looking like the milkman's kids, okay? There's too many Christians that are out there. They've got God's name, but they don't have his eyes. They've got his name, but they don't have his walk. They have his name, but they don't have his love. And so John says the existence of such a person is an irreconcilable impossibility. It's an irreconcilable impossibility because if as Christ followers we are not marked by an agape love that loves others, then we don't know the Father because you can't be adopted into the family where the source of all love exists and not turn around and want to share that love with other people. You can't be adopted into God's family and experience the love of God and not turn around and share that with other people. The love of God compels us to love others. And so John moves on. He he says now that not only is God the source of all love, but he's going to give the second reason for why love is evidence of a faith in Christ. And he does so in verse 9 through 10. He says this, This is how we know God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. John says that God is the primary source of love, but he doesn't stop there. He follows that up to begin explaining how it is specifically that God demonstrated his love for fallen humanity. Because God showed what love is by sending His Son Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus did what we couldn't do at the cross of Calvary. Jesus is love personified. And the truth is is that as fallen human beings, we would never have known or experienced such redeeming love in our lives. Divine love of God had God not initiated the act of sending love in His Son Jesus Christ to earth. We would have never have known it. And the point that John is making here in this moment, the point that we miss so oftentimes as Christians, myself included, is that love is not merely words. It acts. It has to act. Love has to find not only its expression in the words that we speak, but in the ways in which we love others in action. And this is the why that this is agape love is actually an evidence of faith in Christ. Because God modeled for humanity what love looked like. In sending His Son, Jesus, to the cross, He showed us what love looks like so that none of us who profess faith in Christ have any excuse. None of us can stand before God and say, God, I didn't love others because I never knew what love looked like. I never saw it. I never experienced it. If you profess faith in Christ, we are without excuse. And I was thinking about it like this. It's kind of like when I first started going to the gym, right? 
when I first showed up at the gym to work out, I had my sweet shorts on and my socks and all the, you know, the headband and all the gear and different things. But I had no idea what I was actually doing when I walked in there. I would like try and do like 500 pounds of leg press and then I'd go and do my arms and like I was just doing all kinds of goofy things. And I actually ended up not seeing any gains in my strength. But what's more is I actually injured myself very badly trying to do what I was doing. And in a sense, I was blameless in that moment because I had no idea what I was doing. Nobody had actually modeled for me what proper exercise looks like. That was until I had some friends of mine who happened to be athletic trainers and said, Nick, let's take a few pounds off the weight bench. Let's take a few pounds off the the squat rack. You're not impressing anybody by doing that. And let me show you what actual healthy rhythms of working out look like. Let me show you what it looks like to have good technique, good form, to have rest and diet in your exercise. So that now when I go to the gym, if I'm not getting stronger or if I injure myself, it's my own fault because I've had modeled for me what it looks like to love. People have shown me what it looks like to work out. And the same is true when it comes to this kind of love. God has shown us in Christ Jesus what real love looks like in his death and sacrifice on a cross. And here's the amazing thing if you think about a church. We live in a day and an age, a time like, un- like any other, where we have the ability to access the testimony of God's love at our fingertips at a moment's notice. It's almost dummy proof in our Bibles and our Bible apps, man. When I, was going to, when I was going to Sunday school, we had to memorize all the different books of the Bible. You don't have to do that anymore. You can open an app and it's all right there for you. Oh, I know where Deuteronomy is, huh? I can find Leviticus. I got you. It's all right there for us that we can read about God's testimony of his love for us. But not only that, here's the amazing part. Every day, I have the ability to interact, to to experientially know, to taste, to see, to touch God's love for me in Christ Jesus. Because every day that I get up, I'm face to face with the fact that I still sin and make mistakes. Because every day I get up, I come to a place where I recognize that I'm aware of my brokenness that still exists within me. Every day that I get up, I come face to face with God's love through the realization and that I need a Savior. And every day that I get up, I'm more dependent and more dependent and more dependent on the love and grace and mercy that Jesus offers me through the cross. And so there shouldn't be a day in the life of a believer where we don't come in contact, where our lives don't intersect with God's love, where we don't experientially know God's love, whereby we're not growing in a greater awareness and knowledge of God's love. And if on a daily basis I'm experientially knowing, I'm growing in my understanding of who God is and his love for me, how is it then at any point I could withhold that from others? I can't. It just kind of explodes and bubbles out of me as a follower of Jesus. God's love compels us to love others. And so Paul or John comes to his final evidence of why love is an evidence of faith in Christ. And it's because a agape love reveals an invisible God in a visible way. And so let's look at this here really quickly in John 4, 11 through 12. John writes this, he says, Dear friends, since God has loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, 
But if we love one another, God lives in us and has made us complete. And at first glance, when you read that text, it kind of seems to be out of context, doesn't it? Like John's going through and discussing the love of God and our love for one another, and then he just kind of abruptly stops, turns left and cuts across two lanes of traffic, and says, God is invisible. And if you're sitting there reading that, you would rightly think, why is John talking about invisibility of God in the midst of his discussion on love? He's got some kind of like spiritual Tourette's going on. Like what is, what is happening in the mind of John? And John is making this point that's so valuable for us this morning. Is that God is spirit and in that he is invisible. And though he has historically revealed himself in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, He has now chosen to partner with His creation to reveal Himself through the love of His people. Church, there are many people outside the four walls of this building that may never see God and may never read their Bible. But you better believe that they read your life. You better believe that they read the actions of this church. You better believe that they read how you interact and treat others at work and at school. And these outside, these unbelievers, these people who witness that kind of love as they witness an otherworldly and supernatural kind of love that exists in your life, this agape love, John is saying that when they do so, they're seeing an invisible God expressed in tangible and visible ways through your life. And let that sink in for just a moment. Let that hang for just a moment. The eternal God, the everlasting God, who has the power to speak things into existence. As Pastor Jason says so often, he's the God that spins universes in his hand. That same God has partnered with those who profess faith in Christ to reveal his love to the world. It's an astounding thought that God would trust us to show his love. And so church, as you walk out of here today, you are quite literally the hands and feet of Jesus to the world out there. You are quite literally the hands and feet of Jesus as you walk out of these doors. And so I would tell you this morning that if you hear something like that and it doesn't shake you to the core in humility, if it doesn't stir an awe within you, if it doesn't elicit a holy fear within your soul, may I suggest that as John did, you don't know the love of God, or at least you don't know it well enough. Because when I come face to face with God as the source of all love, when I see how He's modeled love for me in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, when I see that my love for others reveals God to the world, I cannot help but contain that and keep that inside me. I have to share it with the world outside these walls. The love of God compels us to love others. And so let me quickly just wrap up and say it this way. When we hear messages like this, it's very tempting in the moment to have a kind of human knee-jerk reaction. And oftentimes that knee-jerk reaction goes something like this. I need to try harder. I need to try harder to love people. I'm going to roll up my bootstraps and roll up my sleeves and I'm going to go out and love people better today. It wouldn't be the first time that we've done that in Christianity. How many of you have ever had the WWJD bracelets or remember the WWJD bracelets? 
How many had the bumper stickers or wore the bracelets? Right? Okay, I did. I sure did. I had the bumper sticker and the bracelets. And the idea of the WWJD movement, what would Jesus do movement, was not wrong in its principle. This idea that we want to emulate Christ in every facet of our lives, there's nothing wrong with that. The problem, though, with that type of movement or trying to love others is that oftentimes those are based on our own ability and strength and they just fall flat. And so movements that are designed to inspire change and inspire Christians to go out and do great works often end up being the very butt of a joke of our culture. Because why? People slap a WWJD uh, bumper sticker on the car and they drive down the road and cut people off, flip others off and cuss people out, right? Like, well, that doesn't seem like what Jesus would do, but okay. We put the bracelet on. And we try to love others or live like Jesus in our own strength, and we end up not looking any different than the world around us. And so the truth is, church, is that we don't have to try harder. And what John is getting at here in 1 John, if you look back at 1 John um, 4, 7, he says that, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And notice what it is specifically that John says that causes people to love others. It's not trying harder. It's not a bracelet on our wrist or a bumper sticker on the back of our cars. He says it's knowing God. It's knowing God. It's knowing who God is and spending time with God. And when we know God's love, it changes us from the inside out. When we know God's love, it compels us to love others. And so if we want to receive for this Christmas the, our, our wishless item of agape love in our lives, both as one who receives it and one who gives it, we have to spend time getting to know the Father. We have to spend time getting to know the Son and experiencing the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. Because this love is supernatural and divine, and we are not that. And so we have to know it in our lives to be able to have that emulated out of us. And so as we walk out of here today, church, may we be a church that is about the practice of not trying harder to love others, but may we be a church that is about the practice of knowing God and seeing the evidences of those love manifested in our lives that we would be a church that would stop giving green plastic dinosaurs for love and start handing out Godzilla action figures. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.